I'm preparing my family for the total destruction of the power grid. The Yellowstone supervolcano. A financial collapse. And protect themselves. And survival's the goal, it's into the spider hole. Go fast, 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 fast. Go, 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 go. From what they perceive is the fast approaching end of the world. Think you're ready? You're not. But there's hope. This week we're talking about the prepper movement. He's Brett, I'm Chaz, and this is The Furious Curious. All right, the prepper movement, Chaz. From what is as the you said, prepper movement? Rick? What is this? Yes, what is this? So, part of this. Well, I'll just read the Wikipedia page. We'll level set there. Survivalism, or it, as we're calling the prepper movement, that's also what it's called, is a social movement of individuals or groups, um, also called, like I said, survivalists or preppers, who proactively prepare for emergencies, including natural disasters, as well as um, disruptions to social, political, and economic order, right? They're preparing for the worst. Preparations may anticipate short-term scenarios or long-term on scales ranging from uh, personal adversity to local disruptions of services to an international or global catastrophe. So it can be limited to preparing for a personal emergency, like we said, maybe a job loss, maybe being stranded in the wild. That seems quite practical, even ad- adverse weather conditions. Um, but the, the whole emphasis of this is on self-reliance, stockpile, stockpiling supplies, uh, and then gaining survival knowledge and skills on how to survive if if certain amenities cut out, for example, so or certain big things happen. So another emphasis is you know emergency medical stuff, uh, self defense. Like I said, stockpiling food and water to be, become self sufficient, even building structures such as you know, retreats or underground shelters that we've all seen that may help them survive a catastrophe. So, you know, this, this has kind of been around for a while. It's kind of coming back, but it's coming back a little bit different. Yeah. And, and a term just as you were talking then that has, is quite in vogue right now is rugged individualism, which has oh, been right. on the rise for a while. Yep. And I think that is in response to a lot of, I guess, lingering and, and emerging fears that powers that be, whoever they might be in various parts of the world, it could be a global contagion, it could be just bureaucratic mm-hmm. inefficiency, have rendered, uh, uh, are of limited utility if yeah. the yogurt hits the fan, right? And I think it is becoming, uh, I guess, I don't want to say chic, but perhaps a little more um, defensible to, mm-hmm. especially in, in wake of, you know, we all know COVID, but in wake of a once in a century um, event, it's like, yeah. Well, maybe we could have been a little more prepared. Maybe we could have seen this coming. Uh, right. In a way, we, it wasn't perhaps a surprise that a lot of people are making it out to be. So, I think um, you know where we've cast a wide net around this topic, but I think uh, it, it's certainly an emerging one, and I think it's going to be fun to talk about. This is not a fringe thing, and I think like you know, I, you had a great line here from fringe to front page. This is becoming a front page topic. Quote, doomsday preppers is another, you know, it's got broadened appeal. This is why we're talking about it. But it's also not just, it's not just coming from kind of like outside the, you know, or in the random cybersphere. Like 
Many reputable organizations, including the U.S. federal government and the Red Cross, they all recommend Americans maintain extra food and emergency supplies. Um, the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, advises to keep two weeks supply of food as well as water, batteries, medical masks, first aid supplies. You know, th this isn't just like crazy talk, I, I guess we'll say. Like we we had, there's a lot of public service announcements and I think even more so, it, there's always, uh, but even more so maybe now from, from the federal level to the municipal level, messaging that says, Hey, think of a plan. You know, if you've got family, what's, what's your rendezvous point? What's your plan? Yeah. Have a plan. I don't know what there's a, there's a tagline in there somewhere. There's a PSA tagline, but it's, you know, make a plan basically. So it's all um, part of the plan. It's, it's all part of the plan. It's all part of the plan. It's, uh, but yeah. What is that? Yeah. What, it's uh, what, what, from uh, the doc, not. Oh, Gordon yes. has plans. Batman has plans. All the plans. We all have plans until yeah. they're foiled. He's, the, Joker's, exactly. the Joker's right. He's right. I know. He's right. It's but on prepper. that, um, and John Ramey, who is sort of, we don't do patron saints anymore, but he was, yeah. be one of the patron saints of, of modern prepping. He, mm -hmm. he has started a, a site, essentially a, a prepper page, where it's essentially becoming an emerging media company. Hmm. Uh, called the prepared he estimates there's now between five and 15 million preppers in the u.s alone hmm. and uh, you know uh, bradley garrett who's a social geography geographer rather university college dublin yeah he's the author of a forthcoming book called bunker building for the end of times he agrees with this figure and says worldwide there are now around 20 million preppers right hmm. so it's still not mainstream by any means but we're definitely seeing uh, an emerging appetite for it um, yeah so with that in mind do we want to jump into the five reasons why like why we think this is popping right now before we do that let's just quickly couch this in kind of history at least american sure. history yeah, yeah. We, we could talk about you know this rugged individualism like you said i think there's a tradition there that is born from certain moments that have happened in, in, in history. So, you know, we can talk about the cold war era. We can talk about the great depression. We can talk about even something smaller, like the, the, the federal assault weapons ban. We can talk about uh, Y2K. We can talk about September 11th. We can talk about, you know, certain uh, influenzas across. We've got the swine flu. We've got H1N1. We have the great recession. Obviously we have COVID. We'll get into that. So you just kind of look at all these in chapters with every event like that, there's been kind of a, kind of a resurgence of this idea of preparing for the worst. Right. So I think that we're kind of coming out of that tradition. That tradition is strong, maybe even stronger with, with because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but it's not necessarily something that has just come out of completely out of nowhere. There's been a little bit of a tradition there. Sure. At least, at least this side of, of the Atlantic or Pacific. So oh, no, anyway. is, I, I yeah. also think um, it's a strong, you know, shout out to however you want to interpret that, that to the, the, the Mormon church, because they are well oh, yeah. known at the bleeding edge of this. <laughs> I shouldn't say bleeding edge, but the, the tip of the spear, right? They're well mm -hmm. known for being, it, it's a vital part of the culture. And I don't know how, if that is necessarily why this has become a thing and it's spreading, it's become more fashionable, but I think there's a range of things. So, but that is uh, actually not a bad little um, transition into the five reasons why. And Let's do it. I think one of the reasons, well, the, the number one reason, if you ask me, this is happening is that we have a bad news bias uh, in the mm -hmm. media. Like we've talked a lot about, you know, if it bleeds, it leads. 
the media overreports negative information. Um, there's a lot of statistics around this. Like you don't have to look very far. But and even as recently as you know, as it relates to COVID. In the US, 87% of COVID coverage in the national US media was negative compared to 51% of international media. So the US mm, news wow. coverage skews negative. And a familiar refrain on this is, is how the media sows this fear, uncertainty, and doubt. We talk about this a lot. But so we are de- like as it relates to the US, we are dealing with a country who receives far more negative information than other countries, you know, comparatively similar com- countries. Um, and I think there is that tradition of the rugged individualism. You know, we talk about the don't tread on me, the self-reliance. I mean, it, it runs pretty deep within this country, and I think that's exacerbated and perhaps compounded by the nature of the media reportage. So have you got any take on that bad news bias, Brett? Yeah, it makes me, it makes me wonder. There's always this kind of like actual threat versus perceived threat. Yeah, and I think yep. we've just, you know, because for example, if I, I don't know, 200 years ago, or even, even in, you know, during the, the Spanish flu pandemic, we're so interconnected now and we're so, we, we, we make so many decisions based on information that's been given to us versus that we've experienced. It kind of just sometimes maybe can be distorted. So I think like the whole bad news thing, things can appear worse when I don't necessarily know if anything's worse than any other generation or any other century or whatever. So I, I think, you know, we're, we're so connected. We, we get this sense of like, gosh, it seems like bad things are happening all the time. Yeah. But I think within that is, and I, we've probably talked about this before. Do we have a, is that a, is that a little bit of a reality distortion compared to the, you know, before we even had so much access to so much information and news, right? You know? Yeah. I mean, so, I, I think the yeah. jury's kind of back in on that in terms of like, you could very easily make the case and it would actually be hard to make the case that there's ever been a time in human history where it's better to be alive than right now. Now right. we can watch movies set in the 60s or movies set in the 20s or movies set in the 1860s. And if you think of, you know, equality, human rights, child mortality, education, healthcare, uh, you know any type of choice in terms of economy type of business that you want to start but type of company that you want to work in there's never been a better time and you know we can argue the toss over the nuance of that sure but I- i'm i'm pretty confident that now's probably a pretty good time to be alive comparatively speaking but on the topic of which i think it's a nice little um segue into why we're perhaps yeah. feeling the pinch and yeah. I think it's it's less that this time is not good to be alive. It's perhaps the dwindling trust in the institutions. Now, um, what's his name? John Ramey, who I mentioned, who's the creator of The Prepared. He attributes this, uh, the, the rising number of natural disasters due to climate, as well as the declining sense of trust in the ability of US infrastructure, as well as institutions to manage the consequences of a disaster. If you think of you know, a lot of the, these government officials some are great, some are less than great, like it, like any large group of people. But um, elements of like trust in government has eroded. You know, uh, fewer than one in three Americans in this particular survey, uh, I, I think, is heart and, hearts and minds strategies, which was quoted in USA Today. Mm. Uh, fewer than one in three trust um, the media, trust the government, and mm. it's just it's become a bit of a, an environment of distrust. Uh, in 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 our institutions that we have historically trusted, have you got any take on that? 
Yeah, I'm looking here. 57% say we're failing to build confidence in our public institutions. And like what you said here also in these notes, decline of religious affiliation and frustration with education, healthcare, criminal justice have also been well documented according to, like you said, hearts and minds strategies in the USA today. 3.7 million self-identified as survivalists. That's interesting. Well, that um, was in 2013 and it's 2013. allegedly up to 15 Higher. million now. Yeah. Right. In Just in the US. Yeah, it's a loaded question. I don't. I, I don't want to get into the reasons why I think it's justified or not justified for trust in government, but it is an issue. And I think from a broader societal point of view, if you don't have fundamental trust in your institutions, it's it's a big problem. And we we could debate all day whether that that distrust is is justified, not justified. I would say probably both. But yeah, I mean that is a huge. So you know that all came to a very acute topic when 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 covid hit i think before we were at we weren't necessarily dis, as distrusting because i don't know if we were as dependent on our governments like we did during the pandemic where you know the cdc now has become became quite a significant decision maker in our everyday lives whereas before they were kind of in the background right yeah so this kind of brought maybe some of those things that were maybe there and just didn't really have any material consequence. If if you told me in 2014, do I trust the CDC or not? I'd probably say, yeah, sure, maybe. I mean, I'm, nothing's happened. So yeah, I guess. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's, it's just not something you would think. Yeah, 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 yeah you wouldn't even think about it, right? So I mean, some of these, unfortunately for some of these institutions, government institutions, if we don't think about them, they're doing their, they're doing their job. And it's only when things become really tricky I don't even say not even doing their job. When it becomes tricky is when we sort of say, yeah, wait a sec. Yeah, no, that doesn't seem right. You know, like now we're paying attention and now we're scrutinizing and now we're second guessing and Monday morning quarterbacking every every yeah. single decision. And, you know, my point of view is we keep thinking we know everything about everything and we don't, and we're just taking it one step at a time. And these are all just people trying to make the best decisions. I think in general, making the decisions that are for the largest amount of good yeah. is possible. Yeah, and it obviously varies um, for, with the personnel, right? Um, right. And, and their capabilities and timing, right? I mean, some problems are pretty intractable. Some are, require, you know, collective action from, from different countries, right? Like if, if Joe Biden today stood up and said, I'm going to cure climate change in, by the end of this year, impossible. secondly, that requires um, dangling a lot of carrots and sticks to various parts of the various different parts of the world who may or may not have any that, that that might not be in their best interests if that makes sense right so it's not exactly no one's got a magic wand here and i think oftentimes we look to government to solve all of our problems and i think now like you know in in the event of some pretty grim circumstances in this case a global pandemic uh, and even prior to that i think people are going when when the times are tough i i want to have the peace of mind to be able to rely upon myself. Uh, like the, yeah. the help might not be coming, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. So I think we're just getting a little more savvy and uh, cognizant of that reality, I think. You know, I think it is probably, you're asking a lot of, of a government to, to really ensure our complete material and bodily safety all the time. Like, yeah, yeah. I think we just need to know, like my expectation of government is not that high. So I don't mean that in a bad way, but yeah. if you look at even Katrina, for example, you know, like FEMA coming in, like a lot of people were left high and dry or not even dry, I honestly, to, to spare the pun, wet. And 
I think that's clearly an indication that like, if you simply depend on another entity for your well-being, you may, you may find, you may end up in trouble. That's, I think that's the core principle of prep, of prepping, the core ethos, if there is one. Yeah, sure, sure. I I think um, that's a nice, uh, nice little transition to number three, which you had here. You want to talk about that? The fear of tech dependency, I think is a, maybe a differentiator of this one. So the, the grid breaks down, right? So if the grid drops out or if, or if, um, modern technology fails, you know, there's, there's a lot of concern right now about the, 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 um, the vulnerability of our power grid system. We've, we've even seen versions of that, whether you've had a really powerful, uh, winter storm in Texas. We saw that people are seeing more and more reasons why maybe technology, whether it's analog technology, like like the power grid or even our phones, can we really depend on these to stay alive, to stay uh, out of harm's way? And I think the answer is no. I I had some friends in New York City, case study here, when Sandy, uh, Hurricane Sandy hit, er their phones just didn't work. They didn't have power. And all of a sudden, like the cellular signals just didn't work. Like what's up with that? But that's what happened. So can I depend on Google Maps to get out of here? Potentially not. So uh, this other this other guy, Travis Johnson, he's the founder and um, senior uh, at a he's a survivor skills instructor at Northwest Survival School. He was saying um, that like about sixty percent of increase in enrollment over the over the few years, and a lot of them are a lot of them are like it's not about oh government unrest, it's actually about climate change, which I think yeah. is a really interesting concern. So we've got we've got two things right now. We've got we've got that distrust. Of public institutions, we've got political unrest, and then we have this even further existential one, which is climate change, and and how that can be a tipping point for things that basically put us into a situation where we have to kind of fend for ourselves. So I see that fear of tech dependency across from the modern life of of dependent on power, dependent on public utilities like water, and then this new kind of semi-public utility like the internet. You know, we may not even have access to that. So, what is that going to look like? So, I think that's why I feel like this is almost like even more relevant now with the, the fear of the fear of tech dependency. Any thoughts on that, Chess? I don't want to say we're heading towards a tech dystopia. I mean, it, many many people have talked about in 2018. One of the emergent words to criticize the end of the honeymoon of big tech was tech lash, and that mm-hmm. you know. Uh, pr- in since the twenty sixteen, that was a sort of a pivotal moment in terms of like oh, quality control on um, the validity and and the legitimacy of information being spread on social platforms, namely Facebook and and others. And it's like wow, like we we've let the the kids run the asylum. <laughs> I don't say the lunatics run the asylum, but you know what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. we, we we've allowed these companies to to grow and flourish into every part of our lives and haven't questioned whether or not it's a good idea. No checks and balances upon them, like, like the government, love or load the government, whoever it is at the time. And we've just had to take their word for it. Um, and I, I think we're starting to realize, you know, it's not always good. There is that degree of, of privacy, which is an ongoing thing. There also is that you know, like I don't know about you, Britt, but it's quite satisfying when you're driving somewhere now and you don't plug in the destination on your GPS. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, oh wow, I feel like I'm in charge. Like there is a, a self-empowering feeling. It's relaxing. Mm-hmm. You're not reliant upon this delightful little box of joy. And I think 
there is just a I don't want to say a growing suspicion, but I would say just a, a growing awareness, a hyper awareness around the role of technology. It should, serve, as you mentioned before, we we're getting started here. It should have us, not the other way around. So that's my that's my yeah. take on the fact that you know the the fear of us getting hooked on it in a non productive way. Just to conclude that point, the more dependent we are on technology, the more vulnerable we are when it's not there. Is really yeah. the conclusion of that, and I think you know it's one of the reasons why you, people should you should have a you know Rand McNally map book in your car. You know, if you need to get out and go, your phone may not actually work. So, just a little tip there. Indeed, indeed. So you had this yeah. uh, number four. You call this big business, and the next next reason why the marketing of this right is no longer this fragmented kind of niche. You know, where it's a variety of different startups or whatever, or it's, you know, you people go into army surplus stores. Like it's really cons- the marketing machine around this has really kind of matured. And so just in 2000, 2019 alone, like, you know, even before the pandemic, protests in Hong Kong, wildfires in Australia, you know about that. Um, the threat of the threat of war in Iran. This is all pre, pre pandemic, right? You know, businesses boomed for prepping companies, right? So, and then when the CDC announced that, you know, this first confirmed case in January, businesses reached a whole new level of this. Survival outfits like uh, outfitters like Ready to Go and like um, Mirror Safety spent like months and months trying to catch up with the, all the demand and fill these back orders. So a flood of new customers came in. A lot of people, I mean, I even had friends who were quick little small antidote. I'm not going to name names because they don't want me to, to name anybody here, but like, People who are like anti-prepper, look down on prepping, even like even self-defense or whatever. And we're like, hey, do you think I should get a firearm for it? Like, huh? Do you think? Do you think? You, is that where I'm Brit, like- Brit you, Brit, you can name me on this show. I'm so, okay. Sure. <laughs> Joke. That wasn't you me. knocked on my door. <laughs> no, it wasn't, <laughs> wasn't Chaz. But I was like, okay, well, you know, we'll talk about this right now, but otherwise don't, don't talk to me again about it. Um, <laughs> no, I was, I'm just kidding. Um, but I think that's- People were really flipping out. There was a moment, I think, early in 2020 where people were really, I think, rethinking their real values on this versus their kind of their idealism. But yeah, like even pre-pandemic, the Pottery Barn, Nordstrom's, they were selling survival bags. Um, there's a LA startup called Preppy. You know, how cute is that? But you know, they were, you know, recommended by Oprah Winfrey and Gwyneth Paltrow. So this kind of hit the mainstream. And then even to crystallize it even further. If Kim Kardashian is posting about it, then it's got to be something, right, Chaz? Well, that's too, uh, unquestionably, yeah. and I think you're forgetting a, another one of the early patron saints of the prepper movement, and that's Destiny's Child. I mean, they're ahead of the curve on this. Oh, tell me more. I'm a survivor. Uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh, that we got to get that in the mix this week. Oh, no, no, <laughs> indeed. No, I, I think that's... um. It just goes without saying. I think it's become, again, I don't want to say fashionable or mainstream or cool, but I think yeah. it's legitimate. Like all these reasons are legitimate. And I think if there is someone like, you know, a, a hardcore capitalist like Kim Kardashian that's saying, well, oh, this is an opportunity here, I think it's in response to a lot of demand. I, I th- you know, we talked about doomsday preppers. I remember seeing that when it first came out and thinking, wow, you know, this is strangely intriguing slash alluring i mean there's there's part of part of you where you're trying to temper your zeal perhaps you go well all right sure having a 
a few you know cans of non-perishable goods and and water and you know other things that can be used to barter that's fine but am i really going to be digging a bunker in my backyard i mean like it, and i'm not to knock mm-hmm. people who do but it's a it's a bit of a leap to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I like. I, I think it's not. You don't get there overnight, but maybe it's a slow progression to get there to go full, full prep. Next one, yeah. Right. So yeah, you talked about this climate change, and and like I think for the longest time there has been a gl- a growing belief that climate is going to cause unforeseen challenges, perhaps mm-hmm. to infrastructure, to perhaps just you know other elements of living. Have you got any take on that? I think a lot of people are concerned that you know there's going to be an energy crisis where that's going to really some sort of natural disaster will spark a geopolitical shift that will create wars. So it, 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 that's what I I was reading a lot about that. It wasn't just like oh there's going to be this really bad like winter storm or this there's it's actually going to like you know water is going to be an issue. Clean water is going to be an issue. So these are like quite these all ladder into climate change and are quite existential if you look at it from like a geopolitical point of view, right? Resources, right? This is no longer like we talked about earlier uh, before we hit record, this is not really like, I think a lot for a lot of us, Chaz, like the caricature of, of the, of the prepper, right. Or the survivalist was, you know, guy in camouflage, long beard, AK 47 running for the Hills and had, you know, a bunker. We all kind of thought that was weird. Right. Like that is not the truth anymore. It's people like you and me, like there's a New York city prepping club network. And it's the majority, this professor was saying the majority was uh, women and minorities who were doing this. It wasn't just old white guys who were crazy, right? Yep. So there's something very practical about this. And not only that, but it's it's coming from a, uh, even like a kind of a, a left side where it's not just, you know, people were like, geez, like, how is this, the, the previous administration, how, where's this really going to end up? What's going to happen here? What's going to happen with climate? It wasn't just the paranoid fringe people anymore who were, viewed as preppers like it was actually not necessarily a pejorative anymore to be called a prepper and i think yeah. that's why we're talking about it it's, it's reached a mainstream consciousness where it's no longer looked down upon it's actually hey actually there's some pretty practical things here that people can do yeah and we in the spirit of that one of the we were calling um the sixth reason why he were going to say it's overdue but when we changed it to it, the pandemic is a gateway drug and, and i think yeah. The reason we did that is because it is my, you know, uh, we talk about the pandemic a lot and for good reason, but in this case, it is brought to bear and brought to light, brought into focus some of the glaring omissions that we've had in terms of our life planning. Yeah. Uh, and in the Atlantic, a guy called Bradley Garrett wrote this article, I think around yeah, May of last year of 2020, so just after this, after it all popped. Uh, we should all be preppers. And he said, chances are you already had a neighbor who was ready for this pandemic. And he goes on and uh, he talked about how one of um, the people he's interviewed uh, emailed him and said, all these people who are shopping for hand sanitizer, bottled water and toilet paper, uh, he said, these people are fixing a a leaky roof in a rainstorm. And if you think about, like being a responsible citizen, like you don't want to be left out to dry. Like if if there is a tsunami, if there, you know, whether it's an earthquake, and you want to be prepared for a situation here. And I think it's made the pandemic has made it 
real for people who you thought, oh, it's a, it's a nice theory. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole of paranoia. Sure. I mean, too much paranoia is probably too much, but I, I think there is a, a healthy degree of paranoia as a, you know, again, if, if things go sideways, you want to be able to take care of yourself and your loved ones. So do you get any yeah. take on that, Britt? I was going to say before I forget, I, re- I referenced this random professor. Um, it's Professor Maria Bounds. She's an assistant professor of sociology at Queens College. And she's researching a book f- about urban preppers, which I think is a fascinating kind of subcategory of this. And she knows the majority of, of members uh, were minorities and mothers and fathers, people who had families. So I thought that was pretty cool. It wasn't necessarily just all the all the stereotypes that we typically think about when it comes to preppers. It's actually much broader than that. And I, I found that really, really fascinating. I just wanted to quote her um, and reference her accurately. But I think those are people who panic by. Those are not preppers, right? And yeah. it's, it's just so interesting that you know, I was just remembering um, my dad mentioned to me a couple of years ago, he's like, well, you know, if there's ever a pandemic and I was like, what is he like? There's never going to be, there's never going to be a pandemic like that. That was hundreds of a hundred years ago. Like, what is it like? That's these things don't exist, right? Blackouts and pandemics. And we're past that. We're in the modern age of safety and security. And it's just so interesting to think that like, I mean, if I would, if any of us would have said, besides Bill Gates from Microsoft, who was warning people, by the way, yeah, if we would have said there's going to be a global pandemic in late 2019, that's going to do what it did. If you and I were sitting here in 2018 and somebody was saying that, we would have been like, you're absolutely crazy. You're a conspiracy. Uh, yeah, I don't know, That's man. crazy. It, it, it's happened in other parts of the world and a lot less really? global. And it's been contained, yeah. you know, just various, you know, various different um, viruses. You know, sure. you talked about SARS, you talked about MERS, um, and and they've just been more quickly contained. And for whatever reason, they're spread more broadly. And and I just think it's never say never, I guess. And I think that's the the mentality of the prepper, which is maybe it's remote that this would happen, but it's possible, and I'm going to yeah. prepare. And I think the practical, I think the practical version of this is that, hey, I'm just going to do these things, so then I don't have to worry. You know, if I've got these couple of things figured out. And if something happens, then I'm prepared. Then I don't have to worry about it. I'm not into this, like looking for the signs or dwelling on the potential of things. I think that's just that, that steals joy from people in my opinion, but there's a, there's a healthy way to look at this. And I think that's what people are waking up to. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think just to recap the five reasons why, number one, bad news bias. We talk about this uh, ad, I don't say ad nauseum, ad, ad infinite. Is that even a word? I think it is. We talk about it a lot. Yeah, Yeah. it might be. Uh, Number two, the dwindling trust in institutions. uh, That's become quite a popular pastime. People are not looking to institutions in order to safeguard their interests, so they're taking it into their own hands. Number three, the fear of tech dependency. People are slightly concerned that this is taking place. They want to be able uh, to have some control over their own destiny and not have to rely upon technology. Number four, it is a big business. We're seeing um, broad public interest in it, tapping into that, I guess, vein of intrigue. Uh, Number five, climate change, the concerns around that. Uh, people want to be prepared in the event of climate catastrophe. And number six, the pandemic as a gateway drug. It brought forward 
a lot of simmering concerns and people don't want to be fixing a leaky roof in a rainstorm, even though a lot of us already have been. But they are the five, in this case, six reasons why we believe the prepper movement is happening today. So final thoughts, sir, you go first. Uh, I would just say be open-minded about this. Uh, And I I think that's not exactly a controversial statement. Uh, I just think it's, you know, even if, if for no other reason you acquire a lot of goods that might, you know, expire eventually five, 10, 20 years down the track that you can't use anymore, the peace of mind by virtue of having them in your house might have, um, you know, might have played a big role. They talk about the idea of just having books in your house that you may or may not read, but just being surrounded by knowledge apparently is a reassuring feeling. I would hmm. say that feeling of peace of mind and reassurance that you might experience from being prepared in, a, in the event of a disaster uh, will do you the world of good. That's my take. Yeah. What's yours, Britt? Mine's probably a tip. You know, we live in San Francisco, so I think for us, it's a little more real that, you know, to have something like a get out bag or a go bag, right? Basic things if there's an earthquake, right? Knock on wood. Um, but I think that the secret here is just to be proactive and not reactive. You talk about, you know, trying to fix a leaky roof as it's raining, do it ahead of time. And you don't need to do a lot to really be ready. I think the biggest thing for, that I've discovered is like, you know, having a planned rendezvous point with, with friends and family, and then, and then having a group, a, a preset group of people. I got this advice from, from the city of San Francisco, have a group of people that are, that you will coalesce with in a meeting place. Cause that's what people are going to do anyway. They're going to try to get together. Anytime there's a disaster or whatever, people get together and they, they form groups because that there's safety in numbers, right? So do that ahead of time. Don't try to improvise it after. So that you know, getting getting groups, making sure you have water, solar solar packs for your phone because electricity may be out. If you're going to have cash, you know, smaller bills is always the thing. I keep people keep telling me that. So smaller bills. So go to your your city or your state or your or the federal government's websites. They have very practical things to tell you to just very basic things that you can do to prepare. So that is that of uh, the prepper movement. That is it. You are listening to the Furious Curious Podcast hosted and produced by me, Britton Rice. Britton Rice. My name is Britton Rice. And my prepping colleague here who only carries $100 bills with him, uh, Charlie Quark from San Francisco, California. That is Britton Rice. I am Jasmine Rice. But make sure you follow (laughs) us on Instagram at the underscore furious underscore curious. We welcome your comments, insults, constructive feedback, and compliments on our brother, Fried Rice. Yes. Until next time, stay curious. Out. Bye, Lou.